Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and today we're on the phone with two special guests of ours, Jackie Haragat, who's the Director of Programs and Outreach at Immerman Angels, and Stephanie Lieber, who's the Executive Director of Immerman Angels. Ladies, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Well, we're excited to have you guys on. This episode's going to air right after our episode with the founder, Johnny Immerman himself. We had a great podcast talking about Johnny's experience with testicular cancer and the cracks that he saw in the system to create what is today Immerman Angels and what you guys help steer the ship every day. And we thought it would be a great idea because we did talk a little bit about the early beginnings of Immerman Angels and what it's all about. And Johnny did a great job explaining that and then kind of fast forward really quick to what you guys are doing now. But we thought it would be great to share, kind of get a little bit more in depth in what you guys are doing. So on that note, before we begin though, I wanted to give our audience a little bit of background on both you guys. Maybe you guys can both take five to 10 minutes and share a little bit about your background and kind of fast forward to where you guys are today in your careers. And with that, uh, go ahead first, Jackie. I'm going to put Jackie on the spot first. Good. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Well, it all started for me. uh, I lost my mom, my aunt, my grandmother all to cancer. So... For me, I didn't know that there was a thing called a survivor. And when I met Johnny and and the team at Emmerman Angels, it really um, brought a lot to my heart and to my mind to know that there was people that actually made it after a diagnosis. I just didn't know that that was possible because that's all I had faced. So for me, I'm the survivor of my stories is how I look at it. Going through cancer as a caregiver was very difficult to not have anybody understand um, how it was to be in that position, to not only have to um, handle all the things that you're handling in your own life, which is already difficult enough, right, but in addition, try to handle somebody else's literal life by, you know, making sure that they have their medicine, making sure, you know, that they're safe, making sure that they're comfortable, making sure that, you know, their bills and and everything that they need to have um, handled is still being handled. And, you know, the the time, my closest situation was, was of course, with my mom. And for me, it was very difficult because I was taking care of my mom, but I was also a new mom myself. And uh, you don't get a guidebook. You don't have anybody there that can shed some light on how to take care of someone else. And, you know, I didn't have anybody to help me know how to be a good mom either. So it was a very difficult and lonely time. And I remember I had to call um, the Walgreens pharmacy <laughs> at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was crying my eyes out because I didn't have anybody to direct me on the drugs that I had to give to my mom. And which ones and what time and you know and and she I was on the phone and she was calling me in the background and the pharmacist said you know what I will sit here and I will wait until you can take care of your mom and um, I remember how much that meant to me 
And so when I heard the mission of Immerman Angels, I thought of that and I thought, you know what? That is brilliant. There are so many people that are out there that could use the support from somebody who's been there and turn that that situation um, into something a little bit easier. And those that have gone through the experience, like myself, to be able to share that experience and make the negative into something positive was just like amazing. I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is what I've been waiting for. And for me to have that opportunity, it was just so easy, you know. And when I came here and I met these survivors and heard their stories, it was just astonishing to me about how many people actually go through this experience um, and all that we could do to help the newer people that were going through it. It was very exciting to know that um, there was resources out there that I had never heard of, um, but that I could now lead and, and allow other people to learn about. So when I first heard about the mission, I thought, that's it. I got to I gotta get involved. So here I am. <laughs> that's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing. You know, I think anytime someone loses someone that they love and you lost three, uh, I think it's it's very difficult to share that. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and with our audience. What what was I, I want to back up for a second? What was like meeting Johnny for the first time? And did you meet Johnny first with Immerman Angels, or how were you introduced to Immerman Angels? Like, where did you see it? Or I, you know, I'm just kind of fascinated to find out how that happened. You're gonna laugh. <laughs> um, so I was at the dog park. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I was walking my dog, and I saw another woman uh, with a dog, and I had just freshly moved back from California to Chicago, and I was, um, you know, in the park, and we just started chatting, and she asked me, you know, what do you, what's kind of what your life story, what's happening, and I told her I was looking for a job, and um, I used to be a teacher, and so we were just, you know, small talk, and the next thing I knew, we were talking about what she did, which she, at that point, volunteered at this organization called Immerman Angels. And she was telling me about it, and instantly I was blown away by the mission, um, you know, the one-on-one, -on -one, giving back, having somebody there, you're not going through cancer alone, being able to chat to some, with someone who understands what you're going through, and I'm thinking, that entire conversation, gosh, where was this when I was going through my experiences? Um, and oh my goodness, how much experience do I have to share, you know, to help somebody else? And so right away I, I went home and looked up mermaid angels because that's what I thought she said. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I didn't find that, found lots of other stuff, but not, <laughs> not this mission. And uh, the next thing I, I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And, and I happened to run into her again uh, and asked her. And I had my phone this time and I looked it up right away and um, instantly got involved at that point there was a woman here who was a survivor as well uh, that was in the lead of the program and um, she was very sweet and we had a lot in common as well and then you know to your point of meeting Johnny it's funny I didn't know who he was um, and he came into the office and he was standing in the hallway uh, with no shoes on 
<laughs> uh, standing up at a at a stand up desk in the middle of the hallway, and um, he introduced himself to me. And uh, if if you've never met Johnny, uh, you know, please make it an opportunity to have that happen because he has this amazing ability to um, make it that you are the only person on the planet when he's talking to you. So um, he did that. He you know he introduced himself told me all about why he started the organization, and then he asked me about why I wanted to get involved, and I told him, and uh, and that was that. I mean, it was just instant, like, I felt like, wow, this is, you know, this is really something that I want to get more involved with, and it was, luckily, it was right away when I had first started in the organization, um, which was back in 2012. So awesome. I mean, I think you just said something that, uh, you know, the first time, as I mentioned on Johnny's podcast that we met, we had heard of each, I had heard of Johnny for like years through David who runs your endurance program, David Lothian. And, you know, Dave always said, you got to meet Johnny, you got to meet Johnny. And I meet him and it was like, we knew each other for years. And he just, he has that amazing ability uh, to do that, which is just awesome. So thank you for sharing that. Stephanie, I want to talk to you now a little bit about your background and how you got to uh, Emberman Angels. of my personal story and my professional story. So personally, um, my mom is an almost 40-year breast cancer survivor. Um, and so I grew up with cancer literally at the dinner table, um, you know, part of my literal DNA and figurative DNA of my family. Um, and my father is a eight-year prostate cancer survivor. So cancer sort of surrounded me my whole life. Um, my mom's best friend was, one of my mother's best friends was diagnosed with breast cancer at the same time she was, both as very young mothers. Um, and and uh, my mom's dear friend Lynn passed away and my mom survived. And part of that journey um, created this situation and environment where my mom wanted to do more for the cancer world. And so she became very involved in the breast cancer community in Chicago. And because of that, I became involved. And as I... Um, as I grew up, I sort of took the reins from my mother in many of those communities. Um, so, you know, so cancer was, was part of my story as a child, as a young adult, um, though it really, I didn't quite have the context or sort of serious personal um, interaction with it until one of my dearest and best friends was diagnosed with premenopausal breast cancer when she was 36. Um, and, you know, while I had experienced it as a child, through my mom's diagnosis, um, watching my best friend go through it was very different and very difficult. Um, and uh, what it made me realize is I couldn't do everything and be everything for her. Um, I could drop off food. I could bring magazines. I could sit in the waiting room with her. I could sit in the hospital room with her. Um, but I didn't have the tools or the skills to give her what she needed, which was to sort of to talk to her or give her the comfort of, of the, uh, the comfort that a survivor could give her, someone who had sort of walked the journey before. Um, and she talked to a number of breast cancer survivors while she was going through treatment, and um, some were perfect matches and some weren't. Um, she was struggling with infertility at the time, and talking to anyone who had kids and was um, 
was going through treatment was very difficult for her because she knew her fertility was likely compromised because of her treatment. Um, and that made me realize sort of it's not just, you know, talking to a survivor when you're going through this is great, but talking to the right survivor is really what's important. So that's sort of my, my personal journey. My professional journey is that I have been in the nonprofit world um, forever. Uh, I've uh, you know, because of my family's experience, I was always volunteering as a kid and as a young adult. When I was in college, I was steeped in the cancer community at University of Michigan, volunteering for a number of organizations there. And when I graduated, I knew I wanted to do something in the nonprofit world. Um, and I sort of fell into fundraising. Um, and I was a professional fundraiser for uh, two fabulous organizations for 20 years, um, uh, a small school in the north side of Chicago and Chicago Children's Museum. Um, and there I really honed my fundraising, strategic planning, board relations, um, you know, financial management, nonprofit skills. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I had one of those sort of what do I want to be when I grow up moments where I just thought, okay, I love what I'm doing. I love the community that I'm with, but um, is it time to, to stretch myself and think about something different? And sort of by some stroke of luck, uh, I got a call about the opening at Immerman Angels and started to have some conversations with them. And um, I am about to celebrate my year anniversary as executive director here. Yay. So that's my, that's, that's how I got here. So it was sort of this perfect merging of, of my personal experience in the cancer world and my professional experience in the nonprofit world. And did you know Johnny before you came on board, Stephanie? So, so Johnny and I um, sort of almost crossed paths about a hundred times. It's funny, when I was cleaning out my inbox at my old job, um, I found a, a bunch of email exchanges between me and Johnny uh, from probably 10 or 12 years ago um, where we were trying to get together for coffee to talk about the Chicago cancer world. At that point, I was chairing a breast cancer organization in Chicago. He was starting Immerman Angels or had just started Immerman Angels, but we could never make it happen. You know, it was one of us was out of town, one of us was here. So we actually never officially met uh, until I interviewed for the job, but, but knew of each other. That's so funny how, I, I yeah. mean, you know, you always think like the, the business of nonprofits is so large, but it's also so small and you know, these cross exactly. that intersect and whether it's school or networks or, you know, even hearing your story, having so much of cancer in your immediate family, you know, the odds of maybe intersecting or interacting with Immerman at some point was probably bound to happen. So it's just kind of fascinating yeah. how that happens. Yep. And the arcs yep. that people take. Well, thank exactly. you both for sharing your background. Um, I think it's very fascinating to me and I've been taking notes here. And I think one commonality that has come through with both of your stories was, and, and you both said it, and it's kind of interesting, you know, we, we I just mentioned arc here, but no one should fight cancer alone and that's what you guys are attempting to change across a broader spectrum and what you do daily but you both mentioned it in your stories you know jackie you mentioned it you know with what you went through with your mom and then you know stephanie you mentioned it with your with your mom's breast cancer and her friend and then with your best friend but then if you look at the the ultimate goal of Immerman is connecting people so that they don't have to fight alone. It's just so powerful to hear that, even though I didn't have to ask the question. So uh, it's very fascinating to me here, listening to both of your stories and your backgrounds. 
So I want to shift gears here and talk. Let's talk about what you guys are doing and the great things that you guys are doing. So let's first start with Jackie. And Jackie, let's talk about your job. And I know you're the director of program and outreach. So what does that mean? What are you doing? How are you impacting the community in a positive way? Sure. So um, I oversee the connections and where the matches are happening, uh, making sure that the process makes sense. Um, making sure that we have, we've coined the term connection perfection um, and making sure that, you know, when, when we're connecting people, it's not just about the cancer type always. It's funny people think, oh, well, you know, just want to get connected with someone that has, you know, breast cancer to breast cancer. And it, it's not, it's not that simple always. It's, you know, we, we really find it, an art. <laughs> um, we really try to craft our art every day and make sure that we're fine-tuning it. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we get down to the nitty-gritty, the details of what is happening in this person's life, you know. Um, and I dive down to breast cancer because that's very specific. You know, you can have breast cancer, but then there's different subtypes of breast cancer, and then there's different hormone receptors of breast cancer, and all of that impacts the different treatments. Well, once you have those treatments, then there's also the reconstruction. Well, there's a, you know, a ton of different reconstructions that you can have when it comes to that. Um, and then there's you know, other elements that come into play. You know, is this person a mom? Is she working? Um, how old is she? Where does she live? Is she active in her workout style? What kind of food does she eat? So we try to really filter through what this person's going through through the entirety of their life. Are they married? Um, sometimes people want to talk to people that live in the same city. And sometimes people want to talk to people that live nowhere nearby because they don't want anybody to know that they're going through this experience. So... We really try to meet the people that are seeking support where they're at and how they want the support. So a lot of times people ask us, well, what is the scope? What is it that you guys do over there? Who are you helping? So that's something that I try to really make sure gets out there, and I feel like it never gets out there enough. So uh, I think this is a good time to bring that up. <laughs> So our um, scope is all ages. So we help anyone. Our youngest support seeker that we've ever matched is a little four-year-old. Uh, and our oldest mentor that we have in the database is 96. I was just looking at her, wow. <laughs> her profile yesterday. Um, and we help the fighters, obviously. We help the survivors. We help the caregivers. We help pre-vivers, um, those people that are predisposed to receive a diagnosis of cancer. Um, we help those people, as, as I mentioned with my story, and, and yours too, I know, uh, losing a loved one. Um, that perspective alone needs support. People need support when they're going through that. So really trying to make sure that we help everybody along wherever they are in the cancer continuum um, is what we always try to do. So long story short, what I'm trying to do is make sure that the connections are doing what they're supposed to, making sure that we're matching perfectly. Um, and we're also going through a process now of 
you know, making sure that we're able to um, partner with more hospitals and um, get research going, you know, to make sure that um, the importance of what we're doing is actually getting out there. Because I feel like the psychosocial element is never emphasized enough. People just don't understand. Like, people say, oh, yeah, that sounds really great. But they don't really get how important our mission is and what it does for people. So I think that's a little bit about what I do on the daily. Well, I'm going to make uh, – I have two questions, but I, I want to just make a comment. I think w what you just said about the psycho part of it um, – and, you know, I think for years – Research has always been traditional. Hey, we go into a lab, uh, we look at the disease from a microscopic level or from a very scientific level, let's say in mice or in tissue, and we try to find how the disease starts, and then we try to find a cure. And the cure is typically using medicine, traditional non -tradi or traditional medicine, I should say, in a lab again, coming up with a formula and uh, tinkering with medications and then making them work so that the disease is no longer there. Right. I think in though in the recent probably 10 years we've seen this whole other avenue of like music therapy, of meditation, of diet, um, of psychotherapy, you know, of just communication and and you know the the positive stuff that not necessarily like starts in a lab, but has positive influence on disease and disease prevention sometimes and also disease elimination. So it's very fascinating to me, like having a, 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 an advocate and having a positive influence in someone's life could be a, a game changer. And, and I think, you know, it'd be fascinating, and, and I don't know if you guys are venturing into this, but it'd be fascinating to look back on like, you know, the last five years or 10 years, you'd probably have to have a big enough subset that, that you know, even if it's just positive reinforcement and if it's from someone who survived a particular cancer that shared what they did, whether it's yoga, meditation, diet, uh, some sort of uh, supplement that they use that, you know, prolonged their life or, or created survival for their life, to just see how that influence would be, where that comes from, how fascinating, and, and to just see numbers on that. But that's maybe a, another topic for another day. But to get back to it, I, I agree with you. There's this whole, I mean, I think part of what CBD, you know, and I'm not, we're not advocating that you use CBD um, and we're not saying that you shouldn't. Um, but I think like CBD as a whole, at least I've seen it from the pancreatic cancer side, that just strictly came from people networking and talking about it. So it, it's just fast. Yeah, word of mouth. It's just fascinating to me. Um, so I agree that 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 is great stuff. Uh, two questions here for you, Jackie. Sure. What is the biggest challenge that you guys face? That's my first oh. question. So easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for making my my life easy on this one. Um, the biggest challenge that we have is that not everybody knows about us. Getting the word out. You know, it's it's such a simple mission and. You know, we work every day to try to make it so more people hear about us, and yet we still every day, which the words curdle my blood is, I wish I would have known about you when, you know? And that's what drives me crazy. You know, it keeps me up at night of how can more people learn about this mission? 
And for us, you know, we, you and I have worked together. We work with other organizations. There are other peer-to-peers out there, you know, doing this work. Um, it's just so important, you know, as we said, that, that somebody can be there for somebody else just to shed some light and share experience and know that they're not going through this alone. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's probably every nonprofit's biggest challenge, right, is like just getting and communicating the word out to there. And we're going to ask Stephanie the same question here in a a couple minutes. And I know she'll probably shed some light on that in terms of what you guys are doing. But my second question for you Mm -hmm. is what does what you just articulated very well, connecting people and, and sharing their experiences what does it look like for both parties? Because I think maybe there are a lot of people that listen that are listening to this podcast, and we've got a pretty vast audience, and, and a lot of them probably have been connected just because of our mission, and we share a lot of stories of survivors and fighters and family members and athletes and, and the like. But what what are you guys, what does connection mean? You said connection equals perfection, but so what does that actually involve from both parties? So if we have... Um, someone who's battling and regardless uh, of the disease, we're not going to pick a particular disease. Um, what is both party? Wh- what does it mean for them? What does that look like? I, I feel like it means that when you have this conversation, when you're introduced to this other person, um, whether you're the mentee or the mentor, you you gain like this comforting feeling um, that the isolation kind of goes back, that the invisible wall disappears, that you have somebody that you know gets it. And for the mentee, I know that if I would have had that, then I would have felt a lot um, like I was doing a better job as a caregiver. I I felt like if I would have had some guidance, um, so maybe, you know, for the mentees, we really hope that they just gain a little bit of knowledge that their life is a little bit easier. As a mentor, I've been a mentor several times, I can tell you what it does. It's therapeutic. Again, it allows you to turn a negative experience into something positive. It allows me to honor those that I've lost um, and, you know, really support those that are going through it now. So it gives me... Um, a fulfillment that I, I can't really explain um, until you do it. So hopefully you have listeners that are there that have gone through the experience, that become mentors, that they feel like something's missing. Well, this is a way to give back, um, and it's in such a meaningful way. I really want to second what, um, what Jackie's saying. We hear all the time from mentors who talk about how meaningful the experience was for them. And I think Immerman was certainly started, when Johnny started it, it was to help fighters. It was to help people who were in the midst of their cancer journey. Um, I think the added benefit and bonus to all of this is the incredible uh, the incredible impact it's had on those folks who are serving as mentors, for those who are throwing the rope back to people who, um, who are on the journey that they have been on. We hear all the time how um, they did you know our, our mentors didn't really heal until they were able to share their experience and help someone else Jackie and I both tell the story about one of our mentors who um, who talked about during her cancer journey that she was always the victim people were bringing her food people were driving her to treatment um, and when she survived and she was able to become a mentor 
she suddenly got to be the hero in her story. She was no longer the victim. She got to be the person who helped and who saved and who created hope for someone. And while we will always be here to serve um, the cancer fighters and caregivers, I think we don't do our, our mission justice when we don't talk about how important it is for the mentors too. That's powerful. Because I think you, you, Stephanie, you just said something that I think I see often. Uh, well, we probably both do because of what we, we, everyone on the call, I should say, with what we do is, you know, cancer. And this was something I was going to ask at some point, but maybe this is a good segue. We always, we have a patient financial aid program, and I always see it from this perspective where people that are fighting, they're like, no, 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 I don't need help. I don't need help. When they really do need the help, and sometimes I don't know if you guys see that with people that are fighting where they 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 you just said the victim you know or they 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 don't always they, they don't want to accept the help and that's a hard thing for I know for us from the aid side like I I you know I just had a conversation with a family recently and young family and I know they need the help but they I don't know if it's um you know, ego, or if it's just something that they just feel like they want to try to tackle this alone because they feel if they accept help or go for assistance outside, that the cancer has won, or maybe there's something mentally there that they just don't want to break the seal of accepting help or talking to someone in order to uh, to to get kind of the next step and not necessarily do it alone. They feel like they they can do it alone. I guess is my point here. Yeah, and they don't have to, and that's why we're here. Uh, I know, but it's it's such exactly. a hard it's so hard yeah, to get it's a hard some of the, thing to communicate. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard to get those people to give that up, you know, and know that they can't. You, you know, we know that they can't, but yep. it's always the thing like you know, if you say it, they don't believe it, yeah. but if they say exactly. it, they believe exactly. it. Yeah. You know, they so need it's, to, they need to experience it for themselves. Correct, yeah. correct, and yep. and unfortunately, as you guys know, sometimes there's a point of no return, right? And and we hope that. Many families don't get there, but unfortunately, um, some of them do. And, you know, it's always, you know, we talk to people about clinical trials and then, you know, people come to us at the 14th hour and saying, hey, we want to get into a clinical trial now where we discussed this, you know, a year and a half ago with the family. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard. And, and hindsight, of course, is always twenty twenty. But I think what you just said is so powerful, you know, to, to be in that position. So for those listening at home, you know, there are people out there that want to help, that want to connect. And so the connection that we are looking for here, guys, is anyone who has been touched by any cancer at all, that feels the need that they can share their story and their experience with someone that might be going through that particular cancer or another cancer that they could be a mentee. Is there a time requirement that is required from the mentor to provide? Um, Do you guys track this at all? Like in terms of how many times these people talk and for how long they talk? Because Jackie, you mentioned you've been a mentor a couple of times. So I would imagine this is something that I wouldn't say is a revolving door. That's probably a bad analogy to use, but it's something that can be done year over year. Correct. Yes. So as far as a time, um, how we feel about it, there are some organizations that require a year out. We are not an organization that does that. Um, Our rule is basically if you have enough experience and um, you feel that you have uh, something to give back, then you can be a mentor. So um, 
you know, you could you could have just, you know, been diagnosed and gone through, you know, a few chemo treatments um, and, and potentially become a mentor. It all depends on your uh, mental capacity and, and how you feel at that time. Um, because some people just want to talk to someone who is right, like almost right next to them. And as we know, you know, cancer changes every day. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, and research gets updated every day. So some people want to talk to people that are right there, right, very close, just a little bit ahead of them. And other people want to talk to people that are, you know, 20 years out. So for us, it doesn't really matter um, when they become a mentor. Hopefully that answers that. Absolutely. And the other... Uh demographic here are caregivers as well. So you also yeah. match caregivers up with with people that are going through the caregiver opportunity, or it shouldn't be an opportunity, but people that are caregivers today for people that are battling cancer. Correct. Yes. And it's so interesting and something too that's important to know is that we have so many caregivers that register their loved one because they feel that their loved one can use yeah. support. And that's, that's great, right? And, and we love that they do that. Um, but then the caregiver or the, the caregivee, the one that's going through the cancer gets upset at their loved one. They're like, why did you register yeah. me for this? You know, <laughs> they don't even know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. And we're like, did you know, as a caregiver, you can get registered too. You can have support with another caregiver. And they're like, oh, what? I mean, they're so shocked to know that there's support out there for them. You know, and and really, um, if you don't have a strong caregiver, you know, it, it's a whole different experience. You've got to be strong yourself. It's like when you're on an airplane. They tell you, you put on your your ear uh, mask first, right? And then you put it on your loved one next. You have to be strong in order to be strong for your loved one. And that's what we try to get the, that it is so important for the caregivers to also have a connection uh, no matter where they are in their experience as well. So powerful. And I've always said for those caregivers, because I saw what I went through from the caregiver perspective, if you are sick as a caregiver, how can you help someone who's sick? And right. I don't, and in this context, we don't necessarily mean like physical, but mental. Right. And, I, and I've always said, you know, the mind can overcome, you know, what the body's limitations may be. So, you know, someone, and we're not talking about being, you know, physically fit and running marathons as a caregiver, but if you're mentally not fit, you know, to take on the battle of any cancer, you know, it, it is uh, it is a detriment to, you know, hopefully being there for that loved one that's fighting that needs you there. So it's so powerful and it's so important. It's great stuff. All right, Stephanie, your turn now. Oh, okay, I'm ready. So I've got, I've got a question for you. Um, being there a year... Um, you, you've, you've been in the trenches, you've got an understanding. What's the direction of Immerman Angels and, and where do you see kind of Immerman going over the next five to 10 years? Mm -hmm. Good question. I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's really sort of a do more and do better. Um, we're doing great work right now. Um, the feedback we get from uh, those who have been part of our program and have been matched is tremendous. Um, so as Jackie, Jackie sort of rightfully said, one key element is awareness. Um, 
is thinking about how we can make sure that more people know about us so we can we can match more people. Um, and that, I think, you know, until, until cancer is no longer part of our vocabulary, that's going to be um, that's going to be part of our, our ongoing struggle and battle and opportunity because um, there will always be more people diagnosed. There will always be more caregivers who are supporting those people. Um, and so we're just, you know, unfortunately, we have a never ending stream of of people we want to help. So awareness is a, a sort of a, a key piece of it. And um the do more and do better. So Jackie also appropriately talked about sort of the art of our program, um, that it really is an art. Um, one of the things that we're really starting to think a lot about is the science of our program. It is an art and it is a science. Um, and so some of what we've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of months and we'll be thinking about for you know, the next few years is how we're measuring. It's something everyone is talking about, but how we can articulate that the work we're doing is important, it's impactful, and it's making a difference in people's lives. And so we're doing a lot of, um, a lot of thinking about um, uh, measures of success, about how we are getting feedback and um, information from our audience. Um, and then what we're doing with that information, how we're using that information and the data we have, and we have so much data and we'll continue to get so much more, how we're using that for sort of for good in the cancer world. So, you know, perfecting on the art and the science of our work, certainly. Um, and then really sort of how we can continue to amplify our our program and the awareness about our program. And that's really through partnerships. Um, thinking about who we work with in the cancer world. And that's everyone, you know, terrific cancer organizations, partner organizations like yours. Um, it's thinking about how we continue to work and perfect our relationship with hospitals. Um, thinking about how we look outside that scope to the corporate community, particularly those that intersect and interact with the medical world, insurance companies, medical device companies, um, sort of uh, companies that are somehow involved in the medical community um, and how we can articulate our value to them and how we are, you know, a value add to, um, to, to what they do. Um, and then as any good nonprofit leader will tell you, sustainability, thinking about how we continue to can afford to do the work we do um, and grow the work we do. So it's, you know, it's always thinking about revenue and fundraising and serving and um, stewarding the people who are supporting us um, day in and day out. So, you know, the big, the big sort of headlines there are awareness, um, continuing to focus on um, the engagement of our audience. That's our, our hospitals, our, our volunteers, our staff, our donors, um, uh, and um, serving, serving more and serving better. You hit some very important points there. I've got a question though from from your standpoint sure. and where you sit right now. Yeah. What do you foresee as the biggest challenge to get all this done? It's funny. There's, I mean, there's, there's so there's, there's probably few, so many. Few, there's a few, yeah, there's right? A few biggest challenges. I have um, our senior staff send me uh, 
sort of a recap email every week of uh, what they've done, what the goals are for the next week, and flags on the field to use yeah. a you know a, a football reference. And Jackie, the lovely my lovely colleague sitting across from me, I think for fifty weeks straight, her flag on the field is time. Um, yeah. You know, how do we do what we want to do in the time that we have allotted? Um, especially because in Jackie's world, it's you know there's always an unexpected. There's a call from a mentor who needs needs an ear and Jackie needs to spend an hour of her day, you know, mm-hmm. helping someone through a difficult time. There's always those sort of unexpected pieces. So time is always a flag on the field or a challenge for, for anyone. Um, money is always is always a, a, a challenge. Um, you know, there's a lot we want to do and want to do more of um, and balancing the realities of being a small, lean organization with big aspirations is a sort of is a daily task. Um, so, you know, money is certainly. Um, and then it's, um, again, sort of the, the biggest challenge, and Jackie articulated this, is just making sure that we're getting the word out. And for me, it's not just sort of continuing to say that, but really put a strategy together to think about, okay, we know that this is a challenge. How do we address it in a way um, you know, for, we're, we're, thir- we're going to be 13 years old in a month, um, and uh, we've done a lot of things exactly the way they should be done for a small, young organization. But as we, you know, quote unquote, grow up a bit, thinking about how we turn that awareness challenge into something that's um, that uh, is a is an opportunity and that we can address with a real plan. And for me, that's thinking about not just thinking about getting the word out one by one by one by one, which we will always do um, based on just our DNA and Johnny being our sort of our, the soul of our organization. He's always going to be a one a one man sort of mission machine. Um, but we need to be thinking about how we can get the word out um, 10 by 10 or 100 by 100 or 1,000 by 1,000. Um, and that, you know, can come from a variety of different vehicles. But um, But to me, that's probably the strategy we need to think about to make sure that people know what we do um, and why it would be important for them. It's powerful stuff. I, I think, you know, any, you know, it's, it's interesting talking to leaders of nonprofits and also for-profits because I came from a for-profit background and mm-hmm. still have friends that run for-profit companies and donors and such and that run organizations and you have these conversations with them and you know how the parallels I've always said running a non-for-profit is not unlike running a for-profit we just have a different tax status and I think the investments that we make have to work like we don't have the opportunity to have like a do-over because the the risk is uh, is high and you have to kind of sometimes be you know not 99% sure you have to be 100% sure that the investments that we make are going to work and are going to get ample return on investment so that you can do other things and you know it, there's there's a lot more stress in the nonprofit side than there is on the for-profit side for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, with what we do. Um, so, but I appreciate you articulating that um, very well. And and I mean, you know, it, there is a challenge. I mean, I think both of you mentioned you know the time, and you know, it's like it's like how do you do more? You said do more, do better, do more, do more, do better. But um, I, I have kind of a saying, and it's kind of like, do more, you know, with less time, you know, like, how do you really maximize your time and, and do as much as possible as you can? And I think, you know, there is a science to what we all do. 
but I don't think it's rocket science, you know, and that's where the kind of the art of perfecting systems and repetition become and, you know, in, in any business. So I, I've got one more question for you, Stephanie, and with your sure. vast experience in the nonprofit world that you've had, mm-hmm. what has been the greatest lesson that you have learned that you still use today? And it may not be today, it might be next week or the week after, but something that you learned through your experience that you use today in your mm-hmm. role as the executive director. So I, I sort of experienced it throughout my my career, but I read something in one of my nonprofit management books uh, last summer that has stuck with me, and it's about joy um, and about how any person who works for a nonprofit or who volunteers with a nonprofit, who's a board member with a nonprofit, a donor, um, joy needs to be sort of at the center of why they why they do what they do, why they interact with this organization and this mission. And so for me, it's, you know, the people I work with, um, my, my colleagues at Immerman Angels um, are joyful in a, in a mission that can be really tough um, and sometimes really sad, um, but there's joy every day in what we do. There's joy in helping people. There's joy in seeing um, the impact that we have on fight cancer fighters and caregivers and survivors. Um, and there's joy when people are able to support our mission um, through giving money, through running the marathon, through volunteering, because they can see their time, their energy, their resource at work. Um, and so, and I've seen this, you know, throughout sort of my volunteer roles and my professional roles that if you don't have joy for what you're doing and um, and passion for what you're doing, um, it's it doesn't work. Um, and so I, I always look for that. I look for the people who, um, you know, who exude joy in the way that they communicate about the organizations that they're working for and working with. Um, so joy, that's what I would say. It's the, the greatest lesson. Man, you just hit the nail right on top of the head, as they say, because... Uh, I think whether you are fighting cancer, um, a caregiver, someone who just graduated from college, and to hear that statement, or someone who's been working for a long time, and I was listening to a, an audiobook this morning on my run, and they talked about this similar concept, like, you know, why do you do what you do? And if you're miserable at your job, then go find something that you really love and enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, I will say... What you just said kind of hit me a little bit too because you think about like we deal with a very serious topic, mm-hmm. both organizations. I mean you're, you're matching people that yep. are fighting and some people don't unfortunately live mm-hmm. and you deal with that after and then you also deal with people that have lost loved ones that now become caregivers and mentors for those folks that are fighting as well and and for us here you know we we meet these families the runners and some of them have experienced loss some of them will experience loss and that joy though and that connection and kind of maybe the larger arc of all this is this connection that we are all creating for positive is just so that that the joy of doing that and giving people an outlet to be able to express themselves whether they're connecting themselves running fundraising whatever they're doing so powerful and regardless of how evil cancers are and what they do to families and what they do to individuals and 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 like I said some of them don't come back but the power and the joy of connecting people and having an opportunity to create positive change in this world 
from mm-hmm. something that is so negative in someone's life yeah. is just so powerful. Um, so that, I, I appreciate Stephanie sharing that because that is just a powerful, powerful lesson for our audience yeah. listening at home. I, I just found, I just found, I dug it out. I found the exact quote, and I think it's worth just giving it. Absolutely. The single, the single most important attribute of a nonprofit leader, board member, volunteer, or staff leader, the attribute that is most critical in helping you to untangle knots and the one that can move your organization from good to great is joy. So there you go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, ladies, I want to thank you both for taking valuable time from what you guys do day in, day out to share your stories personally and the story of Immerman Angels and where you guys are going and all the great things you are doing. One last question for both of you. If someone is listening to this podcast and they are inspired to connect with you guys, regardless of the cancer, regardless of whether they were a fighter or a caregiver, they can connect with you guys. What's the best way for them to connect with Emmerman Angels and learn more? Absolutely. They can go to www.emmermanangels.org or give us a call at 877-274-5529 and talk to any support specialist. What she said. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, ladies, thank you for being guests on the Project Purple podcast. And we really appreciate you guys taking time to share the story. And from all of us here at Project Purple, that's a wrap on another episode of the Project Purple podcast. (laughs) 